the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. And a lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. You'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers, before you catch it. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I take it. Frontline workers take it. A lot of doctors take it. Can you hear in their voice the shock, the horror? You're taking hydroxychloroquine. And the fact that I've been taking it for more than a month, I think I'm still alive. Am I alive, Shad? Do I look alive to you? Well, maybe on the outside. Caution there, cheeky boy. We are going to be joined momentarily by none other than Victor Davis Hansen. He is the author of The Case for Trump, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. Dr. Hansen, welcome back to America First. Thank you for having me. Um, Professor, we have seen conservative TV hosts say hydroxy, after the president's statement, hydroxychloroquine will kill you. I, what is, do we, is there an anti-science movement in America, Professor? Uh, well, I think it is. I mean, I, 30 years ago, I got malaria, I remember, in Egypt, and they gave me chloroquine. Chloroquine is the, the original precursor of hydroxychloroquine, yes. and it was much, much, much stronger, maybe three or four times stronger. And uh, the only thing I remember, I was young, I was 20, and it was I got a lot of intestinal problems from it, and I did get malaria. It didn't work. But hydroxychloroquine has been used for 30 or 40 years pretty safely. I think the, uh, the World Health Organization recommends it as one of its life-saving safe drugs. And I know two or three people over the years that have been on it uh, for lupus, and they take it every day. I think they take 40, 400 milligrams or whatever, two pills. And they've had one woman I know very well is very frail in the sense she's not very heavy. She weighs about 90 pounds. She's in her 70s. She's been on it for years, and she swears by it as a palliative for lupus. So. I suppose I think a lot of the confusion, Sebastian, is when you combine it with the Z-Pack, yes. the antibiotic, that has a little bit of complications if you have atrial fibrillation or something like that. But I'm not a medical expert, but I know people who have uh, Z-Packs or sinus infections and they can't really take them because they've had a AFib problem. No, I don't think that's true of 
hydroxychloroquine. By itself. Uh, what do you put this reaction down to? Is, is it is it purely political in your estimation, or is it you've used oh, the phrase yeah, it's, you've, it's you've, not, you've used the not. phrase therapeutic culture amongst the elite today? Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what do yeah. you put this reaction down to? It's almost. Pavlovian, it's just an automatic reaction. Barack Obama, when he gave his address the other day, had said, you know what? I have relatives that I grew, I visited in Africa, and they all take hydroxychloroquine. It's something you should consider, and there would be no con- controversy whatsoever. It's like the UVA lighting that Trump meant, a reference. Everybody said, you know, it's death light and all that. It's whatever Donald Trump says, uh, then the opposite has to be true. And so it's sad because in certain cases we know that prophylactically and for people in an early stage it it does have a lot of use and uh, people probably won't be taking it because a doctor would think you know what if I I'm I found out doing this then I'm pro Trump or uh, you know I'll be criticized so it's too bad but whatever Donald Trump advocates then the media will be against it. It's a sad, sad indictment because we, we can it understand is. when, you know, health policy goes wrong, Professor, when, when bad advice, bad projections. But this is when politics is allowed to directly infect uh, what could be a life-saving decision, no? Yeah, I think so. I think all of – there's a lot of drugs and supplements, vitamin D, zinc, pepsid of all things, feminitide, uh denied – and hydroxychloroquine that have, you know, empirical advantages. We've had people in the front line, the doctors, the healthcare, emergency room staffers that know that these supplements can give you a little edge. Nobody's saying they're going to cure you. Right. But the point is they're going to give you an edge. And if they don't have side effects for short-term use, and they really don't, then I don't see any danger in using them at all. I've been taking exposed. Yeah, I've been taking hydroxychloroquine and exactly what you just said, zinc for over a month. Thanks to my doctor, Professor Hansen. We just had before you were on Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia, who has filed a bill in the House on sanctioning China, sanctioning key members of the regime of Xi Jinping because of what they did after the outbreak. Um, how? How? What is the most realistic way? to modify Sino-U.S. relations after this outbreak? We don't have the evidence that it's man-made, but we do know that they seeded the world when they allowed people from Wuhan to travel. We know they, they, um, in, uh, they intimidated scientists, journalists, destroyed evidence. What's the fine line between overreaction and what, what, how do we do China relations differently is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I think it's all based on our perceived self-interest. So, we want to back out of the saloon with our guns drawn. We don't want <laughs> to just cut them off when they have a monopoly of our pharmaceutical wearers, medical supply, military technology. So we've got to be very nice to them and just say, you know what, we're going to go a different path, but we're going to continue the relationship and then insidiously move this stuff either to countries that we can trust, like Japan or Korea or maybe Vietnam or Mexico, or here in the United States for some of this stuff, and then we need to have a long-term plan of really redirecting American education away from all of these sociology, environmental studies, peace studies, and get back to, you know, engineering and math and sciences. We're not producing enough mid-level engineers 
to do the type of design work and and engineering work that we need to have a, a viable domestic industry. That's why we're bringing in all these people from India, and we shouldn't be doing any of that. And it's because we're turning out the wrong time of type of college graduate. On, on the first uh, priority, this surreptitious uh, repositioning of, of those production relations to other countries we can trust or countries that are close to us or domestically, would the eventual goal, Professor Hansen, be to have zero reliance on anything made in China? Is that realistic? Anything that, is, that matters in a type of time of crisis, obviously, if they want to make, you know, plastic ducks... <laughs> or swing pools, toys, or make, whatever, uh, right, right. Yeah, whatever, hula hoops. But we shouldn't rely on them for anything like pharmaceuticals. I mean, we're all, we are all should be willing to pay a couple of cents more for an amoxicillin or an augmentant pill yeah. with the guarantee that we have it than to pay less where we don't know how it's made or how safely it's made or whether we're ever going to get it. So I think within limits... We want to make as many things as we can here, or we want to have our allies make it. If we have a problem with Mexico on the border, we can. I'd rather have things that we don't want to do here off, outsourced to Mexico than China, because that will keep people in Mexico and help the North American economy. But it's going to be very difficult because we're talking kind of parlor talk here in America, and for them it's an existential question. So they interpret that as, these people will destroy us if they shut down the world's largest market to our products. And so don't expect them to go quietly in the night. They're going to fight this tooth and nail. And they have a lot of assets at their disposal. Well, and uh, Donald Trump, the 45th president, has been talking about this since at least the late 1980s. His website is victorhanson.com, VD Hanson on Twitter. The book is The Case for Trump. Buy it today. In the last few minutes we have with you, that second point, which is really the far harder one, in my opinion, how we, we reroute the, the giant ship of state that is education. As conservatives, we don't like to see federal government be very involved with education. How do we redirect domestic education to have that emphasis on the things we need domestically and less on the irrelevant things such as gender studies and sustainability? How is that best done, Professor? I think it's done by the government's incentives. We did that after Sputnik. We really went yes. in and said, we're going to train Russian language experts. Uh, we're going to uh, invest in science and engineering, foreign languages. The Department of Defense gave a lot of programs and subsidies. And now we're doing the opposite. We, you know, Title IX psychodramas, and we're giving money to race, class, and gender programs, the NEH, and all that stuff. So we need the federal government to radically redirect and to help schools that really turn out people that can be of assistance in this transition. And we've got to see that it's sort of like a Manhattan Project. And we really don't need another vice provost of inclusion, equity, and diversity. You know what I mean? We just don't need them. Is, is, We're doing nothing right now. Is the crisis in higher education because of the shutdown, could that actually be an opportunity to that end? It, it does. It's sort of like the emperor has no clothes because all of that administrative overhead that bloated and grew is not needed now. People are just connecting directly with students, yes. and they don't need that enormous infrastructure. There are all those workshops, the 
campus climate. Not that they're not good if they were done right, but they're usually done wrongly. And so I think, and then we have the other problem that these universities have these huge endowments of the wealthier ones, and they're not refunding students' room and board no. or tuition. They're not saying, you know what, you're not getting the full college experience at Amherst or at Stanford that we advertise, so we're going to give you a 50% discount, and you didn't use your room and board to get a 100% discount, and next fall you're going to be tele-learning, so we're going to give you another discount. They're not doing that at all because they have these enormous overheads of administrative staffing and teachers that got release time and it's just it's really going to show you that the university as defined as just instruction could be done at a fraction of the cost maybe the uh, chinese virus will demonstrate finally that we don't need another dean of transgenderism the silver lining in the cloud victor davis hansen the author of the case for trump follow him right now at vd hansen thank you professor thanks for listening to the town hall review Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. The explosive news regarding the government's handling of former National Security Advisor Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and the transition from the period when President Obama was president to when President Trump took the oath of office ought to have the attention of every American. President Trump has labeled it Obamagate. Some have tried to dismiss it or label it as some sort of nutty conspiracy theory or birtherism, and we should do neither nor allow it. Obamagate is simply shorthand for the intentional interference with the peaceful, seamless, cooperative transition of power between presidential administrations. It may not be criminal to mess around with the transition, but it's certainly destructive of the republic's greatest political tradition. Federal prosecutor John Durham is no doubt keenly focused on everything that happened in this period, but was there a criminal act? Maybe. Wait and see. Were these events deeply destructive of one of our finest traditions, the peaceful transfer of power? Absolutely. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom.